You're listening to Heart of the Hunter, a serialized fantasy novel set in Koronai, the magical country. The story was written and performed by Sam Chubb. For more information about this podcast, including upcoming role-playing game releases associated with this novel, check out heartofthehunter.com. Now, please enjoy Heart of the Hunter. Chapter 23 The Cayley Hall was bright with radiance from mage lights and some lanterns. The silver oak dance floor had been polished to a high shine. The gallery rail was decorated with twines of fresh spring flowers, and their fragrance fell into every corner. The musicians of the fief were in a corner chatting amiably and preparing their instruments. In the opposite corner was a narrow buffet stacked with breads and finger foods. Vents in the A-frame roof had been opened to let in the rain-splashed spring evening breezes. Fiefholders and their vassals had gathered all afternoon, coming from every part of the county. Those who arrived sopping wet dried out first in the cider house, and then made their way under covered walks to the Cayley Hall for merriment. The Lord Tenuviel was renowned to fet his people, no matter their birth or station, and the Cayley was no exception. Here knights and ladies rubbed shoulders with tradesmen and laborers. Scribes and dyers danced with their reeve, their lord and lady, and each other. The cross-section was a fine and varied quilt of people. A Cayley at House Tenuvial was always a chance to hear the beat of the heart of the community. Shortly before the Cayley began, pages had come to collect the Hoskins' irregulars' crew, who had dawdled back in their quarters. Peter stood in his best tunic, which he'd somehow managed to get laundered before the dance. It was blue and matched his eyes. He wore the guild badge of a sergeant of mercenaries proudly, his only decoration. Chandra had dressed in what was clearly a Velisti dancing dress from one of the many abandoned trunks. Her red hair was offset by the earth tones of the dress, which flowed like silk and had what was, for a gypsy gown, a modest neckline, only showing the top half of her decolletage. Arin entered the hall and immediately wandered over to the musicians to find a place among them, touching his harp case respectfully, wordlessly asking permission before sitting down with them. Taking bows to hand and raising whistles to lips, the band took their leads from the collar. The dance collar sounded out, old brown shoe as the dance and suddenly the musicians took up the tune and the room came alive with sound and movement though many of the party-goers clearly spent their days bent to heavy labor they had taken time from their day to dress for the cayley in their best dancing dresses and smartest tunics and hosen raven found that she fit in which was always nice to her Sameness brought stealth. Stealth brought comfort. For once, she found she could remember the dance steps that had been drilled into her by the half-drunk Jasquanian dancing master whose classes she'd been forced to attend. And soon, she found herself tapping her feet to the dance and being drawn into it by smiling young Lunargenti, anxious to show their guests a good time. She felt all at once 
as though she could get used to this kind of dancing, being surrounded by happy, accomplished, competent people, all of whom know and trust each other, was infectious. She was relaxing into the pattern of things. When she came to a sudden realization that her dance partner was now Corwin the Bard. Her eyes went wide, but Corwin just smiled in response. The old brown shoe set ended just then, and when the wily fox a-runnin' set, for the penny whistles was called out, Corwin grinned widely. He handed Raven his cloak, rushing to join the band. Raven spun the cloak around her shoulders and fixed it in place for safekeeping as the next round of dancing started. As it happened, Arryn knew there was no work for his harp on the Wily Fox set. So, still ignorant of Corwin's presence, Arryn left his harp behind and joined the dancing throng. The Wily Fox moved at a breakneck pace, and soon Arryn was dancing in the same chain as Raven. The dance flowed so that the gypsy was matched with an older Lunargenti matron for a few steps, and then moved to a pair with Chandra for a bit, who smiled brightly at him as they danced, then to the one Raven knew as Kirsten, finally around to Raven. When his eyes alighted on her, however, he nearly gave out a yell right there on the dance floor. Breaking the pattern of the dance, he rather insistently pulled her off the dance floor. She had no wish to cause a scene in front of everyone, so she allowed herself to be pulled into one of the side rooms. Arryn nearly slammed the door and whirled to face Raven. Where'd you get off lying to me, Raven? What do you mean? Have you lost what little sanity you have? You know very well what I mean, your friend. The one with the silver tree. The one whose cloak you're wearing. Corwin? <laughs> I don't understand. Arryn, are you jealous? No, not jealous. Did you understand that these, these silver tree people, they're looking for me. They want to kill me, I think. Need I remind you of the oath of the road, Raven? You promised to protect me, as I did you. What are you talking about? Raven asked. Look, I spent a few months in Blackhole between caravan jobs, stayed with a cousin, Played the inns and taverns, Arryn said. Yeah, so? That doesn't sound so bad. You'd think so. And indeed, the time I spent was somewhat idyllic. There were, let's just say, many opportunities for me, Arryn said. Opportunities. You mean women, Raven said. Women, yes. Beautiful young women. Luscious, beautiful, young women with stars in their eyes. I don't have to tell you, Arryn said. Then please don't. I get it. So you had a lot of girlfriends. Big deal. You didn't get any of them pregnant, did you? Raven said. Arryn fingered the Aurelian charm pierced through his left ear, as if to be sure it still existed. No, uh, no chance of that. Arryn said. That's good. As the daughter of a bastard who left my mother behind, I take a dim view of leaving behind a trail of future bastards, Raven said. 
Outside, the Wiley Fox dance set died down, and another dance set was called. The band picked up again, but the high tones of the penny whistle was not among them. As it happens, it was not that simple. I had no idea that this was the case. It seems that some of those women had not yet had their telltown, Aaron said. Some? Raven asked. One in particular, the daughter of Gorin Vanchel, Aaron said. You slept with the daughter of Gorin Vanchel. And how did you arrange that, Just? Do you know he's one of the most wealthiest non-HOM people in the city? Raven asked, amazed. Yes, I know that now. At the time, I was in the moment. And, and so was she, Aaron said. Please spare me. So you took her virginity. No big. She's a Lunar Genti, isn't she? Raven asked. Gorn Vanchel is from Yar originally. They have somewhat backwards ideas as to the sensual arts, Arn said. Oh, yeah, as in they like their wives to be maidens when they approach their wedding altar, Raven said. Yes, just so. And then, well, after that, I started seeing these people. Lunargenti, some of them, Yarian, some of them, even a Sidal or two. They were hunting me, Arn said. Raven scoffed. They must be pretty awful hunters if you saw them coming. Arn shook his head. They were quite subtle. It's just the sight, you see. Right, your gypsy powers. Gotcha. So, do you think these guys are out to kill you? Raven asked. I believe so, Arn said. Raven sighed. Corwin, the skinny little harper, is out to kill you. Yes, I believe that is his principal occupation right now, Arn said. So, what? To protect you, do you want me to throw myself in front of his blade? Look, this is serious business, Arn said. I think it's hilarious. You've boned the wrong duckling, and now you're worried someone's hired a band of pretty Lunargenti with silver tree badges to come and kill you. Raven said. Well, it seems to fit all available facts, Arn admitted. Perhaps I might offer another explanation, Corwin said suddenly. Please, stay where you are. Nice trick. Care to show me how to do it? Raven asked. Well, Seems how I can't possibly move anyway. I suppose I will be glad to honor your request. How did you get in here without us hearing you? Arin asked. I have my methods. Let's just say bards know a thing or two about sound and silence. Please understand, Arin, that I take no pleasure in imprisoning you thusly. Very good. Then you'll take pleasure in releasing me. I will, when you have heard me out. Look, as to the girl, I am fully prepared to marry her, should that be... The girl is not the issue here. Well, only in that she is a symptom of the problem, not the problem itself. 
I see. I knew it. Raven, you set me up. It is true that she and I met outside your camp just a few days ago, but she had no idea that you were my target. And, truth be told, as well, I would not have been able to tell her my mission at that point, because I was not yet sure about you. You will, of course, forgive any further gasps of confusion or despair I may issue until you explain what it is that is currently going on. I shall be happy to. Would you please take a seat, kind sir? I would hate for you to have cramps in your legs from standing too long in that position. Why, thank you, I shall. Arryn immediately felt the hold on him loosen, and he turned to run. That's curious. I don't seem to be able to move. You will, good sir, if you will, but intend to sit, not to leave. Ah, well, I suppose sitting is better than standing, Arryn said, and took a seat in an armchair. This power you have over people, good sir, is not exactly what I'd call fair. I agree. Unfortunately, it is needful in this instance. Raven finally managed to speak. You aren't going to mess with his memories, are you? I can't rule anything out, dear Raven. But a lot depends on how he accepts the knowledge I'm about to impart to him. Raven nodded slowly. Mr. Arryn, I would like to speak to you about your curious ability to enchant and bedazzle. Me? What? Is being a charming scoundrel a crime? If it is, Arryn, you're quite safe, Raven said. No, normal attractiveness and fine demeanor are not the kind I'm speaking of. I'm speaking of glamourie. I'm speaking of enchantment. The act of forcing your will upon another against their will. Ah, or did you think that young, virginal, well-bred city father's daughters would be inclined to dally with an impoverished gypsy without so much as a barony to his name? Well, it is said that we Velisti are kings in exile. A fact that, sadly, wealthy Blackpool merchant fathers are somewhat inured to accepting. Ah, well, yes. <laughs> well, if, as you say, it was against their will, I must say that is a serious blow to my father. Corwin raised an eyebrow. Not just to your reputation, my dear Arryn, but it is also a sin against the power from which your power flows. The Fata is not the reputation, but deeper than that. Never mind. Tell me. This holding me hostage business, you're saying that it is acceptable to all that is good and holy? Arryn asked. In the service of the great ongoing bardic gathering? Yes, it is. I would not hold you if I weren't required by my oaths to tell you of this condition and to offer you the choice of truth. Oh my, <laughs> that doesn't sound like much of a choice, Arryn said. Magical choices usually aren't, Raven remarked bitterly. It is the only option you have available to you now. The choice of truth is this. Do you swear to be trained in the art of the canta anum, the song of the heart? Or 
will you have your talent taken from you so that you are never again tempted to use it as you have. Arn sighed. That, that is hardly much of a choice. I don't think you have much room to debate. As much as this training sounds intriguing, I might warn you that your assessment of my current finances is quite accurate. There is no charge for the training. You will join the Silver Grove Collegium, and while you learn, you will travel with us and work as you will to offset your bed and board. Collegium? You're speaking of... Yes, Arryn. He's a goddamn bard. A real one. Isn't that just lovely? I had rather hoped that bards would remain safely mythical. Don't you call yourself minstrels these days? Bards aren't myth. Arryn, but we are definitely not out in the public eye. Kings and queens have their terrible time with our power threatening their prerogatives. We help them out by keeping our true power under our hat, as it were. I see. Well, if you truly know the Velisti, you know how potent an oath bond is to us. Yes, I am in fact counting on your word of honor in this. Then you'll understand if a current oath I've sworn, the oath of the road, binds me at this moment. You swore an oath of the road? That is serious business for a gypsy. Who extracted such a promise from you? Sarge, Raven said. Didn't know what he was asking. Ah, the Yarian veteran. Yes. Well... So, you would be willing to swear to the training, as long as you are able to complete your oath of the road? Arn breathed for a few heartbeats, then nodded slowly. Yes, I believe I would. Corwin nodded. Excellent. Let us hear you so swear. An oath sworn under duress is hardly an oath at all, Arn said. I assure you that the Kanta Anam will read your heart and discern the truth of your words. That is all I am concerned about. Very well, then. What shall I say? asked Arryn. I, Arryn Singer of the Black Bear. I, Arryn Singer, the Listi of the Black Bear tribe, do hereby swear to school my heart my mind, my soul, and body, to the schooling of the song of the Kanta Anam, and I do swear obedience, respect, and honor to the teachers so assigned to me. And I do all of this on pain of the choice of truth. If I am forsworn, let no note I sing be true. Let every instrument I own rot away to nothing. Let my countenance bring only fear and disgust for the rest of my days. Isn't that a little drastic? Raven said. You'll never remember it, Corwin said, holding up his hand, and suddenly her expression turned blank. You know, I have to admit, any power that can stop Raven from talking? That's a pretty potent one. Yes, Arryn, you're right. Now, you will report to the Silver Grove when your oath of the road expires, 
at journey's end. And in the meantime, you will not use the powers you have against the will of others. There goes my Paka game. Well, now, you can still use your normal everyday charm and wit. Just not the kind that is backed up with enchantment. Thank you for that. Do you know, I haven't been under so much constraint since Mom's Elaine caught me stealing her honey pies. I had forgotten how altogether unwelcome the feeling is. What of the sight? Is that to be shackled as well? As long as you do not directly oppose another's will, you should be fine. And the geish I put on you, that's right. You are geished. It is a magical compulsion. It will prevent you from disclosing that which would cause harm. And truly, there's no other way, then, Arn asked. No other way. Every time we've relaxed the rule, we've had tragedy. Tragedy you will learn about when you begin your training. When I'm finished with the journey, how do I find you? It will be very simple, really. You will start to feel a spiritual tug in the right direction. As long as you continue following that inner compass, you will be safe and comfortable. If, however, you should put off your journey toward the Collegium, you will start to experience, shall we say, discomfort? What if I find a wizard or some other magicker to break your spell on me? <laughs> I think you will find that to be somewhat difficult. This really is ultimately for your own good. The alternatives to completing the training are universally considered self-destructive and wasteful of life and sanity. So, I should thank you for saving my life, then? You needn't thank me. No, I am just doing my job. Thank you, sir. Now, will you let me be? I intend to go and get roaring drunk in hopes of forgetting you and all of this. Corwin nodded. Excellent. Well, you won't, comes the day. But I'm afraid Raven will. Won't you, Raven? Raven just nodded, absently, her eyes glassy and serene. There, that's a good one. Well, I should be going. There's another set to play. I'll see you on the dance floor, Arn said. Farewell, Corwin said, and bowed again, withdrawing as silently as he had arrived. Raven blinked a few times and looked around. What were you saying, Arn? She said, a little confused. There was no one else in the room with them. I don't think it's important. Chalk it up to Velisti nerves among the Gahe. Shall we go out and dance? Really? I need a drink. The music from the minstrels filled the space. Complex melodies and equally compelling contrapuntal lines that set the toe to moving, the body to turning, the world to become part of the beauty that is the dance. Raven saw that Dov was being feasted in high style at the Lord's table, with a Sidalian woman rubbing his shoulders and another one engaging him in lively conversation. She smiled in response to Dov's smile, and he lifted cup in salute to her from across the way. She saw Peter engaged in a conversation with several ladies of Tenuvial Manor, his face bright red as he endured their attentions. 
He was laughing and clearly enjoying their company. She scanned the crowd and couldn't see Alabar or Chandra, and noticed that Arin had once again joined the dance. So intent was she looking around the room that she nearly backed into Count Tenuvia. Mistress Raven, you are lovely this eve, Lord Tenuvial said, appearing on Raven's left. Care to dance? The musician struck up the dance set called The Bird on Ice Lake, a very stately dance with precise footsteps that Raven had learned as a girl. This Kaylee dance was one that had one dancing with every other partner in the line, and she spent a few dance steps with each person in turn. Moving past and with all these smiling, dancing people made Raven smile again in turn. Then all at once she was in Arin's arms, as the dance brought him to her, and before their paths parted she felt his warm, soft, sure hands on her, caught the merry light in his eye, and when they saluted each other before moving on, there was genuine appreciation between them. Unbeknownst to them both, Chandra stood in the resting throng. Something plucked hard at her when Arin put his hands on Raven's waist and boosted her around, making her skirts fly out like a lovely spring blossom. Chandra turned quickly then, and walked out of the hall past smiling faces who seemed as though they held no smile for her. Chandra was not a child, but she ran like one, ran away from the dance hall and up the hill past a set of open gates into a small secluded garden area where she could finally feel safe enough to close her eyes and let the tears begin to flow. Though the rain had ceased, the hanging night air was so thick with wet that it coated her fine Wunjo dancing clothes quickly. Soon she both looked and felt miserable. She was all at once completely alone in the world. The loss of her life and all that she was burned through her very soul, a long, slow burn that would not be denied. Tears flooded her eyes, stung them, and she felt as though ice had been plunged through her heart. One usually does not find children of Yar amongst the mourners here, Magistra. A soft, gentle voice said. With it came a softly glowing mage light that she summoned out of a single outstretched hand, and Chandra looked up to see a beautiful lady. She was dressed for the Kaylee with a lovely emerald griffin brooch, wheat gold hair plaited in a complex braid, and a beautiful blue dancing gown. Ah, I... Shh, child, I can see that you mourn. Whether you mourn for those remembered here, or whether you mourn for aught else, that is little different to us. We welcome you. I welcome you. You may call me Lanwin. Chandra here. I Thank you, my lady. I just... You want to be left alone? I'm not fit company, my lady. As you wish, then, Magistra. By your leave, then, we'll sit quietly. She moved slowly around the little garden, and wherever she touched, more mage lights bloomed, until the entire garden was lit with a lambent blue-silver glow. Then the woman turned to sit next to Chandra on the stone bench, 
saying nothing. A moment passed between, the wind sighing through the trees. Why do you call me that? Magistra, because... I'm not sure I understand. Do you ask a riddle? Might you not ask, instead, why the night is dark? Many's the year I've studied magic, child. Do you think I would fail to show proper respect to another of the art? I didn't mean that, ma'am. Thank you. I just... I wondered if somehow it showed on my face or in my manner. Uh, indeed, it does. You're young in your craft, it's true. But your power shines as puissant and as bright as any of my students in the past. You had students, ma'am. Aye, I did. For a time I was in charge of several. Aside from loving my family and caring for my people, it was the most rewarding job I've ever had. I see. And each one could tell another mage just by being near one. But as for showing on your face so that the common man can see it, to that I would say that any man would be distracted first by your beauty. But then, no, it is not visible there. I I'm sorry, ma'am. I didn't mean to claim... Hush, child. Your courtesy speaks well for you, and I know you didn't mean any ill to me. We were going to sit quietly, you and I. Let us sit. The wind scurled through the trees as they both reached silence, the breeze toying with Chandra's curly locks. Ma'am? Yes, child? How did you light the mage lights? Lanwin seemed to take in both the question and its deeper import. She opened her mouth to speak and hesitated then said, It is a simple working. Shall I show you? Lanwin took Chandra's hand in her own and whispered to her. She spoke of the sphere she would form, of how it would start at a point in the middle of her palm, how she would trace the lines of it in her mind first, then pour her power into it. As soon as she saw the yellow-red of the light, she whispered encouragement to cool the energy, to let it be silver and blue like moonlight. Chandra struggled briefly before Lanwin took her hand, and suddenly the light strobed through purple into blue. It was a fierce blue, but it was no fire orange. She released her hand softly and smiled. There, you see, you have it. Not hard, is it? I take it your teacher never showed you this. No, ma'am. I've never had a teacher. Never had? I see. Yes. Yarian. They don't hold with magic. Yes, ma'am. She nodded as if she were trying hard not to speak ill of her homeland. She opened her mouth to speak again. Chandra! A voice called out, distant. It was Aran's voice. Now where did you get off to? Don't think I can't find you if I want. Lanwin's smile showed laugh lines around her face and a twinkle in her eye. Ah, go to him, my dear. Love is brief and fleeting, and there aren't ever many nights like this one. 
Chandra looked confused. But my lady, I... Lanwin placed her hand on Chandra's knee. Go to him, dear heart. We will speak again. Go to him. He seeks for you, and I sense the swell of your heart for him. Chandra nodded, got up, smiling, and curtsied to the woman. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, indeed. Directing a magical flow of pure warmth over her entire body, she dried herself out in a few heartbeats, then turned to leave the garden. The wind rustled the tops of the trees as, one by one, the mage lights died out. Arryn stood there with a mug of cider in his hand, still covered in sweat from the dance. Chandra, you silly goose! Where have you been? I'd wanted to dance with you, if you'll consent to dance with the prince of the Vilisti. Chandra nodded. You were somewhat busy before, Arryn. I was just talking to a lady in the garden. Arryn looked past her. What garden? I see no garden. She indicated the enclosure she'd just left. Look there. There's a fountain and little flower bushes. It's a garden. Arryn cocked his head. You were talking with someone in the memoriam? Chandra nodded. Yes, a, a fine and wonderful lady. Arryn looked past her, then back at her with an appraising look. Very well, then. If you're done politicking, perhaps you've got time to give this poor gypsy a moment of your favor. So many ways she could go, so many things she could say, thinking of how he had left the party to come after her. She felt a sudden welling up of a smile, and decided to go with that smile. Certainly, Sarah, lead the way, Chandra said, smiling. They linked arms and walked away down the path toward the Cayley house. Bridget, Corwin's call went out. Though his outward voice was harsh from hours of singing, his inner voice remained clear. He plucked at the strings of the heart song, trying to find his way to his friend Bridget, who traveled with the Silver Grove. Well, came an expectant voice, not the sweet tone of Bridget, but a more masculine one. Master Fairwin, how nice to hear your voice through the heart song. Save your blandishments, ye laggard. How long have you been gadding about, whilst your quarry has been on pilfering the virtue of merchants' daughters? Oh, as to that, my quarry is made. I have gashed him, as requested. How nice. You did what? Gashed him. Well, you see, he was working as a mercenary, and I thought that it might be best if we let him complete his trip to Irontown. He's sworn an oath of the road, and... You did what? You let him go? He's gashed, master. It doesn't matter what he does now. He'll come back to us. So sure you are that the Velisti have no means to counter the gash you laid? But I... He heads to Irontown, does he? Yes, master. Well, that is where the grove will be when he arrives. Perhaps you should accompany our friends, just to be certain that, oh, say, they don't wander off between Tenuviels and the ice wastes. Because, of course, Corwin, I would hold you ultimately responsible if you lost this one. 
They do not trust me very well, but as you wish, master, I shall go and do as you ask. Oh, now, you sound like I've beaten you with Arandani bagpipes. I don't find fault with what you've done, Carwin. I think it's kind of sweet that you've honored the oath of the road and what not, but I just don't want to lose this one. He's a true talent. Is he not? Yes, Fairwin. He is a heart singer, born and bred. That's the kind of thing that warms the cockles of my heart, Corwin. Because I know that there are a scarce few of us left. As you say, Master. So, let's get this one to the grove, shall we? As you wish. There's a good lad. Be careful. Live you well, and walk in the light. Walk in the light, Master Fairwood. Taylith waited some time after sundown to stand away from the fire, ostensibly to perform some kind of patrol or check on the magical wards of the campsite. He knew that his aloof ways would not draw attention from his crewmates. Tucking the jade dragon back into his hand, he once again initiated a spirit call through it to the Quadong. Unlike many who worked for the criminal Changian syndicate, Taylith did his work voluntarily. He had been the son of a merchant who plied his trade in Kashan, Aranganko, and other districts of the Changian Empire. When his power manifested at a very early age, Taylor's father had left him behind in the port city capital. It would not do in his home city of Jesquan to have a son with strange, purple-rimmed eyes. House Jasmine of the Quadong took him in and sheltered him. He owed his life to the Jade Lords, and they were all the family he'd ever truly known. Taylor. It is good to hear from you, Tichan said. I am pleased to hear you are doing well. Master Tichan, I live to serve. Of course. I have need of a ward box and its key. I have received reports from our witches that this ward box has been opened, but the area in which it was opened is extremely well guarded magically, the last known owner of this box is one called Raven, the daughter of Mother Razia, in the Starmoon district. I know this Raven from Blackpool. She is a formidable knife fighter. I'm sure you're capable of dealing with her. Your mission is to recover the box. Do not open it. Do not separate it from its key. Meet your contact in Northport Town and give it to him. Yes, Master. If you do this, you will be paid well in coin and prestige. As you say, Master, I will serve. I know you will, Taylith. I know you will. You've been listening to Heart of the Hunter, a Coronai Chronicles story. Heart of the Hunter is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry family of podcasts. Fireheart Foundry also produces Fledgling, a Leaden Universe science fiction novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. The Bears Grove Podcast, 
Dragonkin, the podcast for kids and gaming, the Square One podcast, and Vibrant Living. Find out more about the Fireheart Foundry at fireheartfoundry.com. This podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use, license 2.5. Music is provided by the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you back to our fire real soon.